guest today is founder and CEO of SalesOptimize.com, a B2B lead generation platform. Now, while that space has been dominated by software companies like HubSpot, Pardot, Marketo, SalesOptimize has a unique way of helping businesses. They use deep web analytics to scan the internet at high speed, and with one search, businesses get a fully scored and enriched list of online shops. Before running her own company, she worked for Microsoft as a program manager, then for O2 as a business change manager, with her most recent position before Sales Optimize being head of telesales at PayPal Europe. Having worked for one of her competitors before, and the fact that her journey to founding this business is intriguing to say the least, I'm delighted to have her on the show. You're very welcome, Liz Fulham. Thank you so much, Colm. It's an incredible opportunity to be chatting to you and your audience. And let us go ahead and tell the story. Excellent stuff. Okay, so Liz, we'll we'll jump right in. So can you tell me a little bit about before all of this, um, you know, being a commercial leader and um, even working in the corporate space and then going into the tech space? What, what, what was it that you wanted to do uh, when you were, I suppose, a lot younger? Oh, when I was a lot younger, I had like this incredible opportunity to go to college and study computing. And uh, that was back in the 80s. And then I became a very boring person and thought my career was going to be accountancy. (laughs) And little did I realize that I was gifted with an incredible mind for innovation. And so numbers were not for me. Unfortunately, my brain is totally credited out with about 10,000 different ideas any given week. So (laughs) I really ended up in the tech space. And it's fascinating because I've always been at the cutting edge of technology. So I was in Microsoft when laptops were going around the world. And, you know, Bill Gates' vision was a PC in every home and every desk. So I was there when that wave happened. I joined O2 and I was at the wave when the old slider phones that we all remember that looked like something out of Star Trek became (laughs) smartphones. And I was there launching the iPhone in Ireland with a group of people in O2. Then I joined PayPal and I was at the cutting edge of payment industry and selling payments to all the big companies around the world. And then I went into big data and it's like really, really big data that I'm working on. So it's like I've always seemed to be at the edge of innovation. And it's just super cool to be in Ireland doing the big data and machine learning at the moment. Okay, so it's been a it's been a roller coaster ride through your your career, um, <laughs> yeah. and it sounds like you had an overactive mind when you were younger. <laughs> I think way overactive, but yeah. probably in the more boring space of innovation and technology. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I, I wish it wasn't creativity and writing stories and doing art or something beautiful and gifted, but I wasn't that gifted. <laughs> okay, so then, um, can you tell me maybe like the first experience in your life when you you realized you you kind of had that inner power to do something, uh, you know, meaningful, even if you don't consider it meaningful? Um, it's very funny in that I've always things have come really easy for me, and I probably underestimated my own ability. I just probably thought for a long time I just didn't quite get why people didn't get stuff. I was like going. This is so simple and so easy. And actually, people think it's like that's an awful arrogant thing to say, but it isn't really because you're deeply confused. Because it's like, <laughs> and I remember being in so many meetings and people would say, slow down and, t- you know, bring your audience with you. And I used to laugh and go, can they not catch up? So <laughs> <laughs> then I realized I was probably just a nightmare to manage because I was always sparking off ideas the whole time. And I've done this ever since I've been really small, all the way through to my, you know, when I was in corporate life. So I was always doing business change and driving major projects. And I love when I ask the question, why does something work that way? Everybody will say, but that's just the way it is. And then I go, no, no, why? There has to be a bigger why. Why is it doing that? 
And then I love the idea that you can just shatter all those illusions and do something super simple that's highly effective and really helps customer experience or helps revenue or saves costs. So, um, yeah, I think I was probably just, uh, you know, a little brat when I was younger. I just thought this stuff was super easy and everybody should be doing it. It took me years <laughs> to realize. And that was because my brother, who's a year younger than me, is actually smarter than me. So he's really intelligent. So I just assumed I was really a dumbass all my life and then realized later that I was actually quite quick with it and I figured stuff out fast. But I never realized that because my brother was so good. So, yeah, that's just the way it is. So it's, it's kind of funny, my journey to come to self-realization that I have this weird brain that comes up with ideas all the time. <laughs> I love how you're, you just classify it as weird. Um, but I got, I got an instinct there for your competitive nature. And um, competing with your brother. <laughs> ah, yeah, no, he's super. And he actually invested in my company. And uh, he's an absolutely great guy. But he's different to me. He's wired in the more science way, whereas I'm wired more in the business technology way. Wow. Okay. World domination if you were both working in the same business. Well, he arguably is now that he's an investor. <laughs> yeah, but uh, maybe he'd probably wipe me out, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> so you studied accounting uh, and IT and then you you dabbled, well, you completed Six Sigma training. So uh, the yeah. PM side of things. You know, how for someone who has, you know, no trouble in creating ideas or even asking the why, how did your academic studies prepare you for business? Or did it prepare you for business? I think it's hand in hand, the two together. I did a lot of my training while I was in Microsoft and in IBM and PayPal and other places. So the beautiful part is the corporate life structured my crazy mind of ideas and made it that you can't just have the idea, but you have to execute it. You got to measure your success and you need to make sure it's lean. So it was really powerful kind of learning on the job, getting the training from experts around me and being able to put a matter of fact around the ideas and execute them into something that gets results. So I was actually blessed to do training with a lot of very gifted people in the corporate life. Okay. So I think when, when my listeners, they, they've obviously heard the intro and they've heard about your story career. Um, there's a, there's a bridge that a lot of my listeners in particular will be facing and that's between graduation and finding their first job or potentially another bridge is when they've found their first couple of jobs. They've worked for say four or five years and they're actually looking at maybe setting up their own business. So there's, um, there's two kind of leaps there. Um, do you have any insights, you know, or can you even reflect back on before Microsoft, you know, when, when you were going for your first job, what were the challenges or what did you learn from that, that bridge? Um, I think the first real job I had was, it was literally going into uh, Dom Farm Foods as well, IMI. I was actually, sorry, Wang International was my very first job. This was in a computer company, actually, one of the first computer companies. And I went in as an attempt to help typing stuff up. And I actually taught myself to do so much when I was in there that I think I was really young when they actually told me to look after the leasing portfolios for Ireland and Sweden and Hong Kong. So I was super young when I started that. And I remember going into meetings and people thinking I was the secretary when I was actually the finance <laughs> manager telling them how to do their calculations <laughs> and their leasing deals. And I'd say to any young person that's starting their first job is try get into an area that you love. Don't settle for second best. Even if it means you have to wait six months to a year to get the job you love. 
Because if you get a job you love, you'll always be learning and you'll be with like-minded people where you can bounce ideas off. Just never give up and persist and work just extremely hard. Um, you know, a job is not there just to pay you a wage to have a good time. It actually really is about committing to your career and actually doing something that you truly love. That's actually what um, my audience has been told um, to a certain degree. But I think the, the challenge for them is actually um, having the patience to to see the results or um, even having the self um the self-assessment that they're actually growing at their own skills or, or, or developing, you know? Yeah. And like, I, I know somebody, a nephew of mine in Cork and he studied ecology and he, everybody kept telling him to take this job, that job. And he waited over a year to get the ideal job and he's absolutely loving it and acing it. So it is patience. And sometimes you got to start on a really low salary to get into an organization, but with the talent, you'll build yourself up. And just be open to doing everything and being better than everybody. But it is about really, really hard work. I think your other question was about how to start up a business if you're a young person. Yeah, that's the other bridge. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing is, I'd say you should really go and work at the problem that you're solving. And because unless you experience the problem that you're solving, you won't design the solution that will fix it. And so what I find an awful lot of startups do is they come up with a great idea. They think everyone's going to buy it. And then they don't do the market research to see is there genuinely a problem they're fixing. And the problem has to be really big problem that you're fixing. If it's just a small problem or you're just tweaking something, won't work. You'll just end up running out of cash and running out of business. So like 80% right. of businesses shut down. So the one thing I say to new young people is if you have an idea, find out is the problem really that big. Don't just fall in love with the idea. Is it really that big and will people pay for it? And then go work in that area for six months to a year while you're developing your idea and see is the solution you're developing going to fix the problem that's there. It, it sounds so simple, but it's it's very logical, that, that process. It well, is. actually, it doesn't sound simple. It, it, it sounds very logical. It doesn't sound like it sounds like it takes a lot of work and a lot of um, effort and commitment but it's it's still a very logical step to setting up on your own business rather than an idea generated from nothing. Yeah, because I see the problem is, and I see this all the time, and I see companies going out of business because of it. Um, it's not unusual to see a company. There was a very good company there recently called VBot that I knew the guys in it. They were amazing. And they were doing video APIs and, you know, that you could – they had some really cool stuff about how to render videos for fashion on the internet and different things. But the market wasn't big. The market didn't justify it. It just didn't know that, you know, the solution was in place. So that's the problem. When you're actually selling something like that, you know, it has to be a big problem. Now, let me contrast that, that with another great company I've met recently uh, called Bamboo. Bamboo do something cool on, their, on your app, on your phone, you can actually order your takeaway food on your phone and go and collect it and skip the queue. And mm -hmm. I love the fact that as a CEO, you should have told me this. Oh, it's super. It's a super app. <laughs> These guys, Luke, Luke and Alan developed this and they're really young. They're only in their mid twenties, early twenties, but it's super cool because as a CEO of a company, I'm always super busy. The last thing I have, and I'm also ridiculous and I don't carry money. So I'll end up in town and I go like today, oh, I have no lunch. Shit, I need to get lunch. And I literally go onto my bamboo app and go, I can pick any restaurant in my locality, order the food 
and go down, skip all the queue and just collect it and bring it back to the office. So those guys are solving a big problem for people in Dublin that are time poor in that you can order on your app, on your phone, your favorite food, be it foodie or Kyoto, Chinese, Italian or sandwiches and a coffee and just pick it up in 30 seconds and be back in your office and have it in your office as you're finishing something. And it's brilliant. And if you forget money, you don't have to worry about it because you're paying your credit card automatically, securely. So these guys are definitely onto something because this is big in all the major cities around the world. And they're signing yeah. up. They're signing up company, uh, you know, restaurants one after the other. And it's great for corporates because the corporates can subsidize it and give all their staff, a, you know, a benefit of using this, and they can buy their food from anywhere. So um, that solves the pain point, and it's a different pain point. It's the pain point of not wanting to wait in a queue, order your favorite food, and just go over and pick it up. And when time people, when people are time poor, it's perfect. So people get that, whereas they didn't get the former one. So I think, you know, both good companies, but the latter is solving a problem that people experience every day in town, whereas the other one wasn't. And that's the thing. You can have a great idea. It can be sexy. But if people won't buy it, it's not good for business. Right. That's really two two good uh, good examples there. Um, but the contrast is clear. Um, so... Tell me before we actually go into your your current projects today, um, again for my audience who are relatively probably uh, early in their careers, um, and I get the sense that you're you're doing something that you love now, and you're you're you sound like you're very fulfilled in the work that you do and the value that you add. Was it was there ever a point in your earlier career, um, whether it was Microsoft or even the jobs before or after, that you actually felt like giving up? Oh. Yeah, there's definitely a few. <laughs> there's one or two jobs where I was pulling my hair out and going, oh, my God, this is driving me crazy. And, uh, yeah, definitely. You will go into certain jobs that you'll love. And you'll, you tend to join a company and leave a manager. That's pretty much the rule of thumb. And there will be some jobs where the content is great, but the manager isn't. There will be other jobs where the content is boring, but the manager is great. It's very hard in your career to get a job where – you love the content, love the team and love the manager. You know, that that's kind of rare. Most people have to compromise on one of the three. But um, there's sometimes when the world just comes against you and you end up with really boring content, really bad manager, really bad team. <laughs> and then you're really screwed. Just resign. There's definitely better places to work. So uh, in those moments, kind of what kept you going? So um, I'm not saying it's the end of the world that, say, you move on or, or anything like that. But in those moments where you actually were fed up, what did you tap into to, to keep you going? Two things is I always have a plan. I always have a vision of where I'm going and I always have a big plan that I'm working towards. And that can be a five year or 10 year plan. I always have a plan. The second thing is you have to be super professional. Because people depend upon you, be it customers or, or fellow staff or, you know, the people around you depend on you and you can't really let them down. So you, if you're going to commit, you need to commit and deliver. So and you need to be professional when you're doing it. You can't be sitting moaning every day and you can't be not coming into work and saying you're sick. So it's important to be professional and it's important to have a plan. And then if you look after other people in your life and you take care of the other people around you, you'd be surprised what opportunities will come your way. It's like good karma. So for me, it's be professional, have a plan and do right by everybody around you. And you'd be surprised what doors will open for you. Okay, that's, that's pretty sound advice. So um, the, the, the people that are listening that are, are 
probably more of the patient mind um, are are really reeling now, and they know that they've got they've got a step <laughs> process. So let, let's talk about those who um, are maybe looking at shortcuts. Uh, and I know this. I'm not I'm not going to answer for you, but there are very very few business people who say um, you can take a shortcut to the top. But you know, people who are kind of interested in self help books or motivational speakers. What's your opinion on 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 someone that's probably less patient and looking for a quick fix to to uh, to getting involved in, in a business they love? Um, it depends. A quick fix it can take a different thing. A quick fix getting into a business that you love. If you really love it and you're talented at it, you could excel really fast. So it works mm. really well if you actually get into something that you're talented at. You don't get a quick fix if you go into a world that you love, but you're not the best at it. You're going to languish at the bottom because there's other people better than you. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> the reality of it all is some jobs you can quickly fly up. And especially in startups, if you're really good at what you do, you can fly up fairly fast. But in corporate life, it can be a little tougher. You can be sitting at the bottom for a long time because there's a lot of competition for those jobs. Right, that's fair. So you actually touched on it there. So, you know, kind of the startup scene, the tech scene in particular is, it's almost uh, fashionable at the moment. Um, and even setting up your own businesses, uh, it's almost people are just striving to be in that position to set up on their own. Um, I think if you do any search on LinkedIn, you'll see a lot of 19 year olds who are chief operating officers or chief executive officers. Um, I have anyway, I've seen a lot of them. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think do you think you can teach entrepreneurship? Yes, I do. I actually do. There's you know you can definitely teach entrepreneurship, um, but you don't necessarily can teach how to create the original idea. So entrepreneurship could be taking someone else's idea and making it money, and entrepreneurship can be coming up with the original idea yourself. What's hard to teach is creativity and the original idea. But being an entrepreneur, there's often a lot of people in corporate life to have great ideas, but will never be an entrepreneur because they like the security of the corporate life. Mm. And then they can meet somebody in their job who's an entrepreneur who sees the same opportunity as they do. And they leave and take the risk and set up a business, you know. So I definitely think you can teach entrepreneurship. But can you teach risk taking? Not sure. You either have an appetite or you don't. Can you teach original ideas? Absolutely not. You either have the original ideas or you don't. <laughs> I can I can already see a theme here. It's very you're taking a very logical approach to, to each answer. Do you believe we have uh, not autonomy but full control over our careers? No, you don't. It's a mixture of circumstances of life and opportunity. I think you're always hit with opportunities and doors opening and door closing. Some people sleepwalk through life. And don't take any advantage of anything around them. Some people take control of their corporate life and their careers and their entrepreneur and they want to do it. And other people just genuinely, they're happy just to be in a safe, nice job and they change the job every few years and that's content. I think, unfortunately, most people just slipstream into a career after college and then they just don't get mm. back out of it again. They're either walking through blindly or they, they fear something. Um, I don't think it's fear. I think what it is is... They don't know what they don't know, and they literally just slip stream into something, and they just think that's what it is. And I think part of the problem is parenting, because I don't know that we, I don't know as parents, do we always give our children a chance to be who they are, 
or do we try to create them in a way that they live the life that we think will give them the best security? So the question is, do I spend my time as a parent unlocking a child's potential to be who they are? Or do I guide them in the least impactful, protected, warm way of a life? And that's the problem. As young people, you bring all this emotional baggage into your adult life. And if you're taught to fear things and to take the safe path, you'll just slipstream into a job and stay in that kind of career forever. Whereas if you actually train your kids to unlock your potential, don't worry about being an accountant or an engineer or a doctor. What are you good at? It can be incredible what career they create because they end up doing stuff they love. Wow. So uh, I don't know if you follow Gary V a lot. Um, he, he, he pretty much calls out parenting for one of the results or one of the reasons why people don't reach, reach their full potential. Now, again, he falls into the, you know, motivational, uh, the bracket, but he, he does, he, he focuses on what you just answered there, like in terms of parenting. It's all about parenting. And it's very interesting. My husband had a great expression. My husband is amazing. He's so supportive of me and the business. But when the children were really small, and I have three children, so I have two daughters and a son, and the two are doing leaving and one is doing junior. What was interesting, Mike always said was, children are born with no fear. Otherwise, they wouldn't take their first steps. They wouldn't try climb things, right? They're confident. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, their confidence is like a pane of glass. We as parents, we can either scratch it or break it. But we rarely don't affect it. We always affect it with our words or what we do. And it's amazing if you reassure children with positive affirmation and encourage them to be who they are, they can be confident and be amazing. They don't have to be an extrovert or an introvert. They just can be strong and confident and choose the path that they want. Be it, you know, so I have one daughter who's an artist, another daughter who wants to be is sports mad and wants to be an accountant. And I have a son who wants to do science or data analytics, you know. So all three different. None of them want to be like, only one wants to do what I do. The other two are like going, absolutely not. <laughs> so for me, it is down to parenting. It's, you know, your children are not replicates of you. They have their own talents and gifts and we encourage them. Uh, we should never break their confidence and we should allow them to make mistakes and learn from it. You know, otherwise we're trying to get them to be like us. And you know what? It's unfair because their talents are their talents. They're not replicates of who we are. So we need to allow them to be free and be themselves. Right. Well, I'm not a parent yet, but I'll play this episode back when I, whenever the day comes. <laughs> this is the this is the, the script I'm going to need to follow. Um, no problem. So you you talked about um, you know opportunities and people kind of blindly walking through their their careers to a certain extent. Um, has there been any opportunities that have passed you by that you you, you regret? Oh yeah. I was once offered a course in computer uh, back in 85 and I offered a course to do computers and I didn't take it. I did accountancy and I should never have done accountancy. I should only have ever done computing because it was where my first love was. So, yeah. I, and so now the problem is I have a whole team of developers. I love my development team. I'd love to code. <laughs> I'd love to just write code the way they write code. Instead, I design systems and I come up with great ideas, but I'd love to sit down and actually put it all into code myself into C Sharp. And I just never did it. And I know if I did, it, I'd probably find a corner of a room just to disappear in. And I just play with code all day long. And I know I'd love it. I'd absolutely have a ball. And, and I mean, 
if it, well, I suppose you could have been a coder and you mightn't have ran ran uh, sales optimize. Um, it could have been a completely different path. Yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting looking back and seeing those opportunities kind of go by. Um, you can still do it. I, I probably will at some point because it'll just fascinate me. And, you know, when people say something can't be done, I'm going, no, but you could do it this way. And that's how I would do it. What I do like about technology, it's very logical, so it suits my mind. So when I do design something or come up with an idea, if I explain it logically and uh, my developers are amazed, they just say, oh, yeah, you can code that. Great. And they code it. So they do incredible stuff. So I love that about them. They're brilliant people. So uh, maybe one day I'll get coding. Uh, I would enjoy it. (laughs) I can I can sense that the the, the coding team or the development team are fearing this uh, prospect. <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> so tell me, Liz, why did you uh, why did you build uh, Sales Optimize? Um, I built Sales Optimize because think of the last thirty years. In nineteen ninety six, Salesforce came out and developed a CRM, and they were amazing. And they led. There's over three hundred and fifty different CRM companies around the world. There's lots of them. But that's an empty system. Essentially, that's, a, you know, a CRM is a workflow tool. Then back in the 90s, HubSpot came out and Marketo and Elica came out. And they're really good at telling you who comes to your website and driving inbound traffic and doing emails and campaigns and things like that. But the problem was for the salespeople was, okay, maybe 1% of the market's going to your website. But what about the other 99%? What about the people who don't know about your company? And I just said, nobody's really come up with a sales tool for salespeople. They come up with a CRM that tracks what a salesperson does. They come up with an inbound marketing platform for the marketing people. But where's the sales tools for salespeople? There's none. There's 5,000 apps out there for marketing people. But there's practically nothing for salespeople. So I decided, look, we have to fix the problem for salespeople. And we need to give them their whole market and give them everybody that they should ring because that's what salespeople want. They want to know who's in the market, which competitor are they with, who should I ring? And when we developed the platform and we started to make it available, we got such incredible feedback from salespeople saying, I've been waiting for years for this, absolutely years for this. Now I can cherry pick who in the market I want to call. And we had a very funny story with one of our clients. They pay quarterly and they forgot to pay the bill. And so the system turned out the lights on them. And the guy nearly screamed down the phone, who turned off the system? (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, I've been winning customers since Christmas and I got a really big account. And somebody turned down the lights. And we're literally going, but you forgot to pay the bill. And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And they're paying the bill straight away. Within within an hour, the bill got paid. So it's really critical for salespeople to have the sales leads, to make the calls, to connect with the right decision maker and make the sale. It's the lifeblood of every company. And I just thought it was incredible that nobody has innovated in that space in years. So this is hence the reason why I did it. I want to solve the problem for salespeople. I want to give them a sales tool that they can live and breathe by. And when the lights are turned down, that they go crazy because it's like a junkie. Where are my sales leads? <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that's definitely going to be one of the leading lines of my blog post. <laughs> be like a junkie. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you actually, you founded Sales Optimize in 2013? Um, I was really 14 that we set it up and started coding. So 14 and 15, we were coding and 16, we went live and uh, we're just live in the market two years now. 
so what what has been the the experience that the 24 months say if you look back what's it been like oh it's been a roller coaster it's been amazing um the first time we opened our doors, we started getting these major big corporates like DPD and My Hermes and others signing up, which was like, what? How did that happen? Um, the second thing is you go through periods of time when things are going well and things at times when things are not going well, you know. And uh, like any startup, there get periods where you're nearly close to running out of money and then you get more investment and things get better. And I think really last year was a great year. The last two years have been fascinating. Last year was a great year. We hit all of our numbers. We exceeded them. We continued the momentum of getting really, really big accounts. And it just turned out fantastic last year. And this year looks like it's starting off really well. And we're now up to 17 people in the company. So from two people, we're now up to 17 people. So it's it's great. It's just growing and growing. You, you said that you had hit all the targets the last couple of months. Um, what keeps you outside of, say, the standard answer, which would be profit, which a lot of my listeners would probably be interested in setting up business for in the first place? What, what actually keeps you driving forward? Do you know, it's it's not so much profit. Um, I think money and profit are a measure of success. What drives me forward is the my vision of what I want to do with the business and the platform I want to develop. My job isn't done. I have another five, 10 years of development to do before I can get to the final product I want to get into the market. Sales Optimize, this is just one strand of it. I'm busy developing other parts of the product and uh you know, I'm all about the product. I'm all about the customers. I'm all about delighting them with what we do. And acquiring customers will be a measure of how well the sales do and how well the product appeals to our customers and solves the problem for them. That really is what drives it. I love customers. and I love developing product. Your, your passion is clearly shining through. So um, I'm just thinking about 2018 and, uh, and I'm dipping my head away from even the tech scene. And I'm looking at, you know, Donald Trump is the president of America and uh, we've got Brexit. You know, what, as someone who owns a business and employs people, what is your view on the concerns or what actually keeps you up at night for, for this year, um, if anything? What, yeah, no, what keeps me up really is more about training in my new sales team and getting them up to speed with what they need to do, getting my tech team better down to deliver the product. Um, in terms of the environmental factors of Brexit and Trump, uh, Brexit is pretty much a train crash that's happening in front of all of our eyes. It's I'm lucky I'm in data, big data on the cloud, so I don't have physical barriers, but I have massive sympathy for both the British people and the Europeans who are trying to trade goods across borders and you know, anybody involved in the industries around regulation and around air flight and things like that. I feel so sorry for business people and for normal people. Because um, it's just a train crash and it's being very poorly managed. So and it will impact people's lives. And that's really hard. I think Trump is a problem for global economy because, you know, his policies are very anti-global and they're also about marginalizing some people like Mexicans and Muslim people. And I think what I tend to find in business is talent is talent. It doesn't matter. It's not gender specific and it's not nationality specific. And I'm grateful for all the very gifted people who come into my business from all over the world. And so I just think the way Trump's approach is to different, you know, countries and different people around the world, you can't do it. It's too blanket. 
you know, we need to be mindful of the impact we have on people and on countries. And there's so many gifted people all over the world and so many gifted people we can learn from in different nationalities. I don't like the idea that we shut any one nationality down over another. So I'm I'm not big on shutting up shop and protectionism. I understand globalization and I understand equal opportunity for different diversity as the groups around the world. So for me, I'm delighted to be in Ireland. I don't worry because I'm here because it's a great country and our doors are very much open towards all these different nationalities coming. And I'm lucky to be in big data and the cloud. So Brexit won't really hit me. Right. Okay. So you're just not phased. Uh, it sounds like you, what keeps you up is literally the, the task at hand, the, your own yeah. salespeople and then, and then other people's salespeople. Yeah. And it's literally just keeping, keeping focus, keeping the eye on the prize and delivering everything I promise to both the staff, my customers and my investors. And that's that's what drives me. It's absolutely that. I just got to deliver to the plan. Do you have any, like knowing the, the premise of the show, um, I know we spoke about it briefly uh, before, um, would you have any kind of parting advice to, to my listeners, knowing that even if you reference those two uh, you know, bridges that I described earlier in the episode, um, specifically, you know, graduates and even someone with more experience that's looking to potentially set up on their own? Yeah, my advice is if you want to set up on your own, absolutely give it a try, but talk to people who've done it before and and more entrepreneurs than other people that are in business with you because entrepreneurs will tell you about the grind of getting a startup and they'd be realistic about fundraising, about getting your product into market, getting product market fit. They've done it. They know it. Um, And I definitely would say go talk to some of them and find out and learn from them. Tech Ireland have a really good database listing a lot of the technical startups in Ireland. Find somebody on that list that you can actually go and interview a few of these people and they will give you some really, really solid advice about how to do your startup. Um, If you're patient and you don't spend a ton of money, yes, you can get a startup up and running. If you think it's all about giving yourself a big salary and making tons of money (laughs) within the first two years, forget about it. It really isn't. You'll have absolutely no money for about two to three years. Don't tell them the truth. I I know it's the truth of it, but I don't think they can handle that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they possibly can't. The only the only other side of it is the once you get your product in market and it grows and grows, you'll be wealthy, absolutely wealthy, and you'll enjoy your life. But you gotta work extremely hard for the first few years. Okay, you saved us there, Liz. Thanks a million. Um, so look, if you're listening and you sell to online shops, you can visit salesoptimized.com. That's salesoptimized.com. And they'll help you essentially find your marketplace. Um, you can also follow them on Twitter at sales underscore optimize or Facebook, just sales optimize. Um, but I'll include all the, the related social pages in the, the episode blog post. So um, Liz, once again, thank you so much for sharing your journey uh, on the show. You're very welcome. And it's a pleasure talking to you, Colm. And best luck to all your readers. And I'm sure there's some building entrepreneurs out there. And I do encourage you to be an entrepreneur. Uh, Just do a little bit of research first. Uh, But do enjoy the ride because it's certainly a roller coaster and it's full of excitement.